Father God, thank you uh, that you have spoken to us through your word. Um, we just pray that you would soften our hearts today by your spirit, um, that we would hear what you have uh, for us from this uh, Old Testament book, this um, book of Joshua. Um, yeah, speak to our hearts and, and uh, encourage our hearts, but also change us um, at the deepest level for your glory. Um, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to take the mic up. Thanks, Jill. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses's aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all of these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they have taken possession of the land, the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you in the east of the Jordan, towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us to do, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever you, wherever you send us, we will go. 
Just as we have fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. We turn uh, to Joshua, just the, the context of the book. I remember uh, God's people have uh, come out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, they came to the edge of the promised land and then uh, because of their disobedience have gone wandering around the desert for 40 years. After 40 years they come back to the same spot essentially and the same challenge to go into the promised land and the question is whether they will actually get into the land this time and how that will work out. And you know it's, it, it's looking pretty positive although... Uh, you feel a bit nervous at the end of this chapter, don't you? When uh, the people of God say to Joshua, Moses' successor, they say to him, we will obey you just like we obeyed Moses. Right? And you think, oh no, <laughs> this is not a good sign. Uh, so you've got that sense of you know, mixed feelings as they come back for this sort of opportunity. I'm going to pray. There's an outline there. Hopefully it'll help us as we go through it. And uh, we'll see the way in which God deals with his people uh, to care for them as they face a really challenging prospect in front of them. So let me pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. We thank you that uh, you and your kindness uh, were watching over your people uh, thousands of years ago. And Father, we thank you you continue to watch over your people today. And as we reflect on these opening chapters of Joshua in these coming weeks, uh, please uh, help us to understand your faithfulness and your purposes and your promises to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, Port Power and the Crows are not going to win the AFL grand final this year. Right? I can see you're stunned and totally surprised at this news. Right? Uh, Scott Morrison is the Prime Minister of Australia, uh, at least for this week. Okay. Um, now again, not exactly earth-shattering news. It, Duncan Andrews is the pastor of this church, Trinity Victor Harbour. Okay? I can see your jaws are dropping down, all this stunning news that I'm laying out before you. You see, it's not, it's not earth-shattering news, is it? And when you come to the start of the book of Joshua, it starts with some not very earth-shattering news. Let me read it to you. After the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, at this point, let me say, no one was under the illusion that Moses had gone off on a camping holiday. Right? In particular, Joshua knew that Moses was dead. He knew that on Mount Nebo, just before they come to this point in the story, that Moses had died, just as God said he would. Moses is dead. No one is surprised. But what this does is it underscores a problem for the people of God, a crisis moment. In 1993, uh, the senior minister of the church I was working in, Reg Piper, uh, at Trinity in the city, announced that he was leaving and going to become a bishop in Sydney. And uh, after a process, it was announced that I was going to be the new senior minister. Now, at this point in time, right, 
25 years later, I look like a senior minister. (laughs) But when I was appointed, I didn't look like a senior minister. I was 34 years old. I'd been primarily looking after the young adults group. And there was a wave of nervousness that spread through the congregation at this moment as they thought, what on earth are they thinking, asking the youth minister to take over as senior minister of this church? You see, the people felt like they'd hit a crisis. This was brought home to me the week after the announcement was made when a man who was in his 60s at the time, senior member of the congregation, came up to me. He was about six feet four inches tall, so he towered over the top of me. And he came up and uh, looked down at me and he said, Paul, I think the trustees have made a terrible mistake appointing you as rector of the church. You are far too young and far too inexperienced to be the senior minister of this church. I was trying to work out what he was saying, you know. (laughs) It wasn't hard to work out what he was saying. And he paused. And then he said, but I want you to know you'll have my full support. And then turned around and walked off. I felt strangely warmed by his words. (laughs) Didn't quite know where I stood. But you understand, there's that that sense of uh, nervousness that people felt. And with Moses dying... There is the same sense of, how is this all going to work out? Let me take you back to the end of Deuteronomy, the book before Joshua, where it talks about the significance of Moses' impact as a leader. Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. Since then, no prophet in Israel has arisen like Moses. And then it goes on and says, For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. From Exodus to Deuteronomy, Moses had led them out of Egypt. He was their judge, the lawgiver, the intercessor. He was the man. And here they are coming for the second time to the edge of the promised land. They stood staring over a flooded river that seemed impossible for them to to get across into a land with an army that was incredibly well-equipped, a defended territory, and they're all going to go in there without their main man, Moses. Moses, my servant, is dead. Eleven times in Joshua chapter 1, Moses' name comes up. Why do we keep talking about the old leader? It's to make this point that there is a critical moment. You see, Joshua is written to people who faced a a precarious, a challenging, a very uncertain sort of future. That's who it's written to. So in the midst of that, a reality that these people would have been only too aware of, uh, the, the challenge before them, how does God help his people face this future with confidence? How do you deal with with insecurities and uncertainties as you look into an uncertain future? See, what could God have done? He could have, um, you know, pumped up Joshua's tyres, you know. Go on, Joshua, you can do it, you know. Joshua, I've got every confidence in you. You've got all the gifts in the world. The people love you, you know. Like, you he could have taken that sort of approach, you know, leadership 101, you know. I just think you're great, Joshua. Could have done that. But notice what he does do. God points Joshua to himself and his promises. 
Let me read from verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place you set your foot on, just as I promised Moses. And then on in verse 5. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. From when we're very little children, our parents train us not to talk about ourselves all the time. (laughs) You know it's a social faux pas to get into a conversation and just speak about yourself. Right, so we're trained in these social skills. We learn how to ask questions. You know, how are you going today? You tell me, and then I tell you all about myself. You know, like it sort of gives that sort of opening and opportunity. We we're just skillful in that way. Now, can I say this? This rule does not apply to God. Did you notice how often God self-references here? Moses, my servant is dead, says God. Now you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them. I will give you every place you set your foot on. Just as I promised Moses, I was with Moses, I will be with you, I will never leave you or forsake you. God appropriately deserves centre stage and focus because he's God. He's the Lord of heaven and earth and he quite rightly should be acknowledged in this way. Do you understand what's happening here? Moses, my servant, is dead. I'll repeat this 11 times in this chapter just to make you really understand what's going on here. Get the message. But, says God, my promise stands. My promise stands. I will lead you. I will never forsake you. Moses is gone, but the main man... He is still in place, leading his people. Now can I say, in a church, any church, uh, you ought to give enormous thanks when you have godly leadership. Uh, I've got great confidence, great love and affection for, for Duncan and Miriam as a couple who lead this church, and I know you've got other elders in this church who are just sold out for the Lord and so keen to serve his people. Now there's a great gift for the people of God and one we should honour and respect but friends our our confidence is never ultimately in the human leadership of any church never it's always in the Lord of heaven and earth the one who leads his people who stands with his people you see a leader like Duncan or me we do not create faith. You know, we, we cannot do that. It is only God and his promises that create real faith to face the future. So a good leader among the people of God does not draw attention to himself but to the one we all follow and helps us actually do that. That's what God is doing here with Joshua. The focus is on the land and the promises that God has said that he is providing to his people. And God 
is rightly drawing attention to that promise. The fulfilment of a promise that he made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, 100 years beforehand. Joshua here is understandably very nervous, at least he would have been. But God says, I promised and I will deliver. Now let me just think this through a bit with you because uh, what we have is the people of God on the edge of a promised land that have been promised ever since the time of Abraham. You will receive this land as a fulfilment of the promises I'm, I'm making to you, says God. The question I want to ask is what, what has God promised us as his people? Or if I ask the question in a slightly different way, what is the connection between this, this land that God's people were looking at as they stared across the Jordan River? What's the connection between that land and the gospel of Jesus Christ for us today? Right? How, how do we work out the, the implications or the application of this passage to us? Can I say, I think the most common way Joshua is misunderstood by believers today where we're inclined to get it wrong is when we come to a place like for example Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 and we we twist it in a way it was never meant to be twisted come with me to Joshua 1 verse 8 notice what it says if you do everything in the book of the law God's word then you will be prosperous and successful uh, this is the word that God is giving to his people as they go into the land and God is saying you need to obey me uh, as you go into this new context with, with foreign people and different pressures. Now what happens is, I think for Christians today we take a verse like that and we rip it out of context and we pour into it the content we'd like it to have. And often what I, what I hear people doing when they read this part of the Bible is they say, well therefore if we obey and then God will give us success you know, financially or in our business or in our relationships or in our health. God will deliver in this way. And it just seems to turn God into a divine sort of concierge who will sprinkle gold dust on all our hopes and dreams for the future. Here in Joshua 1, I want you to note that the promise is tied up with the land that God is giving to them. That's, that's what's on view. Now what's the significance of this land for God's people? Why, why is it important? As you read through these opening chapters uh, and books of the Bible, what you discover is that this land was the place where God's people were going to experience the blessing of being in a, an uninterrupted relationship with God. That's the sort of hope that this land brought to them. So here's the question I want to ask you. Where is the place where God promises to bless us in this way? See, where do we get blessed in terms of that relationship with our Heavenly Father? Uh, now, there are some Christians today who think that the, that, that strip of land on the edge of the Mediterranean is still very critical in terms of the blessings for God's people today. Now, I had 
the opportunity to be overseas a few months ago and I stood on Mount Nebo where Moses died and looked over the land you know, towards Jericho. So I've, I actually have a visual of that, that piece of land. You know. Can I say, it's not a very impressive piece of land, to be quite honest. If you've been there, it's, it's pretty dry. I'd much prefer the, you know, any place in Australia almost on the coast than I would the Jordan, just in terms of fertility and, and, and livelihood. It, it, it's just not that good. To be, and not bad for the area, but you know, from Australia, you just don't think that way. But the question I've got is, where do we get blessed? Um, in our relationship with God today. I don't think it's that land. You know, do you um, draw near to God and experience the joys of a full... When you come to investigate a college here in Victor Harbour, you know, is this the place of you know, ultimate blessing from God? And you know, I enjoy being with you, but it's not that good, you know, to be quite honest. You know, like good, but not that good. You know? uh, and I don't mean that in a trivial way. That is, gathering with God's people is like a foretaste of heaven. No question about that. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. These will be, you remember Ephesians 1 talks about all the blessings we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. What I want you to listen for as I read is the place where we're blessed. Right? The location of the blessing. See if you can pick it up as I read just this one verse. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, did you pick up the location of the blessings? They are in the heavenly realms and they are in Christ. You see, we know that we're blessed in Christ. That's the location of our blessings now. As you read through Ephesians 1, you know, the, the blessings of adoption and forgiveness and there are all sorts of wonderful things about that relationship. But notice also there's that reference to the blessing in the heavenly realms. That is, we're blessed now, but ultimately our full inheritance is when we enter heaven itself. That is the, the land or the dwelling place, the ultimate dwelling place for God's people that we anticipate because we are in Christ now. And God promises, because we're in Christ now, that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. That's the reality. How does Joshua take hold of these promises of God? You would have picked up that repeated theme that comes up in this chapter time and time again. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and and very courageous. And it's the same in verse 9 and in verse 18. You see, for Joshua and the Israelites, everything pointed in the opposite direction. <laughs> like they, they were looking at insurmountable odds as they stared out across this flooded Jordan River uh, to an army that was so, so much greater uh, than what they could possibly cope with. And humanly speaking... Uh, they must have been desperately worried. Strong and courageous. What does that mean? I remember when uh, I had a brother-in-law who was a keen abseiler. You know, abseiler is a sort of definition of lunacy. You know, when you uh, 
get a rope and you go out over the edge of a cliff and think you're not going to die. You know? And he, he said to me, Paul, I'd love to take you out abseiling. Right? And uh, I, as an idea, I thought, oh, this should be good. Right? And I thought that right up until the moment when I had this piece of sort of rope attached to me that looked more like a thread of cotton standing on the edge of a very high cliff and he said, just lean over backwards. I thought, you've got to be joking. You know, this is just stupidity. But of course, at that stage, I didn't want to look sort of feeble and frail. And so I started leaning out over the back, but all the way down, like horizontal the cliff, I'm going down. I'm the constant, my heart's thumping. I'm just thinking, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. That's what was going on inside of me, right? And, and my... My brother-in-law, once I was about you know, 10 minutes down, he said, how's it going, Paul? Right? I'm thinking and feeling, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But I couldn't say that. I said, oh, it's a real adrenaline rush, and I'm really loving this. You know? like, so why would I, I was trying to think, why did I ever do this? You know? like, and of course the answer was simple. The reason I did it was because he was an expert in abseiling. Right? And I'd put my trust in him and taken that sort of step. It's exactly what's going on here in Joshua, God's people are on the edge of the Jordan and humanly speaking, they were totally outnumbered. But they had one thing that no other nation on the face of the planet had. One, just one thing they had. God was on their side. And they're told, be strong and courageous it's just another way of saying trust and obey. Trust and obey. Put your confidence in the one who has led you this far and who will lead you into the promises that he has made. Friends, it's exactly the same with us. God makes promises to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and he calls upon us to trust him and to obey his word as an expression of that trust. And he guarantees that he will do what he's promised. I mentioned at the start that my, my son-in-law Richard, his father Tim, is in hospital and they're expecting he'll die this weekend. I went up and visited Tim on Friday. Tim's uh, been a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ for decades and decades and decades. He's had this cancer for about 12 years and I've caught up with him regularly. And he's a man like most men. He's, he's, he's about my age, right? Very young, okay? And, uh, but he wants to grow up to see his grandchildren be born. He wants to be there when his daughter walks down the aisle with a man that he doesn't even know and hasn't met yet. He has dreams and, and hopes and desires for the future that he is not going to see realised. And yet all the way through uh, his illness, he's kept sending email up to that dates to his friends and his family. And the passage, his go-to passage, uh, when he quotes from the Bible, is Romans chapter 8. And I visited him on Friday and that's the passage that I read to him and prayed with him. Romans 8, can anything separate us from the love of God? No, not death, certainly not cancer. That cannot happen. Jesus has conquered death 
when he was raised from the dead. And Tim knows that God is with him always, even through this valley. He had some Christian friends visiting yesterday when my daughter was there. And they've known each other again for decades. And as they said goodbye, uh, Tim said to them, see you in heaven. And he will. Because God is faithful and he keeps his promises. The key for us is knowing what God has promised so we can put our trust there. Listen to the fuller content of that verse I read from Joshua chapter 1. God says, Do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Friends, our success is not measured by our degrees or our bank balance or the size of our house or any of those sort of things. Friends, in the scheme of eternity, they're all junk. They really are. Not significant at all. Success in the eyes of the Lord is measured in terms of faithfulness to him and to his word. The Israelites, they knew the word of God But they also knew they were going into a land which was going to be a contested space, surrounded by people who didn't follow the Lord, where the temptations to move away from his promises and to trust in other things would come up on a regular sort of basis. They knew that that would be the case. Different ethics, different lifestyles. It would be hard not to blend in to get on. And as you go through Joshua, you see some of those challenges arising. But friends, can I say nothing changes? Uh, We live in a contested space, don't we? We live in a context where there is pressure to fit in and not to rock the boat by being different. But we also are called upon to be strong and courageous. Not sort of, you know, what we're talking about here is the strength and the courage to put our trust in the promises of God, his word, and to actually obey him, knowing he'll walk with us always. That's the sort of strength and courage that's on view. Friends, this, this part of the Bible is all about facing the future with confidence. And I want to say to us, every single person in this room, we all face uncertainties. Uh, Some of us, maybe right now, there don't seem to be too many of those and life's going pretty well. Uh, But can I say to you, you will face those at some point if you haven't in the past already. But there'll also be plenty of people in this room who have all sorts of questions going on in their heads about life. Uh, Like Tim, questions about your health or the health of your spouse. Um, Clouds hanging over the longevity of your job. Uh, Deep worries about your kids and how they're travelling and where they're up to. Financial stresses. So so if you're a follower of Jesus, what's the key when you're facing those sort of difficulties? Well, just be positive. You know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It's garbage. I'm not saying positivity doesn't help, but not much. That's not the key to it. The key to it is to believe in the promise of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
that if you have him, you have absolute security and absolute certainty as you face a future which will raise all sorts of questions and all sorts of doubts. To believe that this God, who is not only the one who rules heaven and earth, but he loves his people and he is always with them and will never leave them or forsake them. 25 years ago, I can still remember Ray standing over me and saying, you are far too young and far too inexperienced to be the rector of this church. And I think actually he was right, to be quite honest. (laughs) I don't know what the trustees were thinking. But, But see, the key thing was, in the end, and not me... Uh, the key thing was that God's people would put their eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and that their confidence would be in him and his sovereignty. And my job was not to be a tremendous leader. My job was just to point people to him and to his promises. You see, that, that is actually the key to our future as God's people. Our future is not dependent upon our skills, our collective ability, our plans for what we want to achieve. The key is to turn our eyes away from ourselves and to fix them on him. And the guaranteed promises he has secured for us in his love, his authority, his power and his goodness. And when your vision is preoccupied with with those realities and his promises then you are in the most secure place that you can ever be. Absolutely. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who is a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God. Father, we thank you that in your kindness you've, you've made guarantees to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our fulfilment of promises you made made your people in the time of Joshua, promises to secure a relationship with you, promises that you would never leave us or forsake us. And Father, we know that at different points uh, we can feel the strains and stresses, even the sense of feeling abandoned, to feel uh, low and washed out. And Father, we pray you'll help us to be uh, strong and courageous, to actually fix our eyes on you, on your word, on your promises, on the sure and certain things of forgiveness and mercy and grace that we've experienced in the Lord Jesus Christ and to know at that point that we have everything of significant and eternal value already and that you'll give us patience and persistence and faithfulness in the times of trial as well as the times of exuberance and joy. Our Father, we, we pray that we'll press on in our walk with you and in confidence in your leadership. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.